If uh, you're with us today and uh, you are not a believer, you're not a Christian, um, you know you're not or you're not sure you are, then I can assure you one of my great desires as a minister of the gospel is that you would know Jesus Christ. That you know the forgiveness that's in him to know the peace that we just sang about. And at the same time, if you, if you are a believer, it's my desire that you know all the benefits that you have in Jesus Christ. That not only did, were you united to him in his death, but when he was raised from the dead, you were united with him in his resurrection, and now you have the Holy Spirit. I mean, how sad would it be to have this great inheritance in our lives, but to, to live as beggars? And so God wants us to understand all the benefits that we have in him. And so one of the great privileges and maybe the greatest benefit that we have is we have this great opportunity to know God in an intimate way through prayer. God wants us to know who he is. He has given us free access to him through prayer. Now last fall we looked at the Psalms when we saw the, the book of Psalms are prayers, mostly the, the prayers of David. And Jesus prayed. He learned obedience as a human being. And I uh, say so he prayed through the Psalms. Certainly Psalm 22 meant a lot to him as he was hanging on the cross and saw prophecy fulfilled in front of him. And, and so he prayed. Well, his disciples uh, saw this in his life, and they, and they were, I guess, mesmerized by the way he prayed. Like no one, they had ever, not like the Pharisees, as we'll see. And uh, so they asked him, Lord, teach us, how do we pray? How do we know God this way, the way you do? And can I know God the way you do? And so Jesus, what he does, that he's a master of doing, is he boils everything down uh, all the Psalms, all the Psalms, all 150 of them, down to this Lord's Prayer as a framework to help you and me know how to pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, when asked uh, what is the greatest uh, commandment, he, he boils the whole Old Testament <laughs> down to, to one sentence, uh, to love God and to love man. And so he gives us uh, this prayer. The Lord's Prayer is an amazing outline of how to pray and how to pour out our beleaguered and broken hearts to a God who is much more willing to listen this morning than we are to be heard, seriously. The reason I say that is I've been studying on prayer and it's been, it's been awesome convicting. All the privileges that we have, that we neglect. So if you would, I'd like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll refer back to this, the importance of where the sermon is. And so I want you to be aware of this. It's the first sermon that Jesus probably gave. So now he's in chapter 6, and he's starting to talk about the application of what it means to have a new heart. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So pray then like this. Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's uh, holy and errant word. Let's pray together. Ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we thank you that you are truly the God who's here. And Father, you're always everywhere in the fullness of your glory. There's no place that you do not occupy this universe. You're beyond it. But Lord, unless you reveal yourself, we will never experience that glory. We live our lives. We sin in your presence, in your, before your glory. And so, Lord, we pray that you would peel our eyes back to see you and our need for Christ and all the great benefits that we have in him because we can call you Father. So would you bless the preaching of your word this morning that you would give me the ability to take all that I've studied and written. But apart from you, it's vain. It's, it, it, it falls on empty ears no matter how clear. So Lord, we need uh, your tongue this morning and we need the ears that you would give us to hear the good news. We can pray. We can know you. And we ask it in your name. Amen. I remember those books that came out several years ago. Uh, Maybe they're still out. uh, Which help you get your hands around topics that you don't know much about. Remember those books? Uh, Actually, the titles are very offensive. Right? Computers for Dummies. Home repair for dummies. I think they had one parenting for dummies. I, I skipped that one. And it's actually, it's actually kind of refreshing to have somebody be honest and say it like it is, right? Hey, you're a dummy. Probably an idiot on the subject. That's okay. Uh, let me help you uh, with this thing that you're ignorant about. So if you don't have a computer, like nobody had computers 20 years ago. Laptops. I didn't have a laptop. I wrote everything by hand. Then I got a laptop. And then I felt like an idiot. I still feel like an idiot, but I don't care. I have other people know about uh, computers. But so you get your computer and, and right, and you go, well, let me read that book a little bit so I know what the keys mean. Or, and, and so, but now you have an investment in it. You have this thing, this is amazing thing. And so you, 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 um, you get your dummies for 
a computer for dummies book. Now, I think this is true of most of us when it comes to prayer, wouldn't you say? I mean, especially of us, if you're not a Christian, I'm sure you pray. But especially of us who know Jesus Christ, we have this great privilege. And yet there's so many questions that we have about prayer. Exactly what is it? What is prayer? How am I supposed to pray? If God is sovereign, which I believe He is, He knows the beginning from the end. If He foreordains whatsoever comes to pass, like you sitting in the seat right now here in the sermon, then why pray? If He does hear, does He care? And then maybe the one that most of you deal with is why, if God hears, would He hear a wretch like me? I'm so unbelieving. I'm so cynical. I'm such a pornographer. Why would he hear me? I'm a wretch. Well, see, this is exactly how the disciples felt. And let me tell you why. I'm going to have to give you some context. The gospel always has to be preached in the context of redemptive history. You need to know the text and the context of the text. What was their context of Jesus coming all of a sudden on the scene and he's praying in ways they've never heard? Well, they lived in a very hyper-religious culture, kind of like down south. Like been in the south in the 50s. What a miserable experience that must have been in many ways. Hyper-religious without the gospel. Law but no grace. And so the idea was that only the religious people could have the right to pray, the good people. So if you, if you were a, a basic Jew who was a carpenter or, or let me, a car salesman, uh, God wouldn't listen to you. There's no point in praying. And especially if you were lame or you were blind or you were deaf or you were poor like the majority of the people back then, then obviously God is not going to hear you because you're already cursed by him, you see. So is the point... Uh, of praying. Prayers for those who are blessed by God. And I don't think that's changed that much. I think the reason a lot of you don't pray is a lot of it's because you don't know Jesus. A lot of it's because you're just like, man, I, I would he hear anyway? And then for a lot of you, it's like, man, why would he even hear my prayers? Okay, so that's kind of the context, but, but I need to expand it a little bit more. This is chapter 6. He starts in chapter 5. And what's amazing that blew everybody's mind is when Jesus shows up on the scene, you'll notice that he goes to a mountain. Mount Sinai was where God came the first time to give the Ten Commandments. But now Jesus, who is God in the flesh, comes to a mount. He beckons people to come to him. But when they come to him, far be it that fire and brimstone is coming down. The first thing he says is, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So let me say this as we start. You will never pray and know the power of prayer. Until you get so undone by your sin and by your self-righteousness 
or by your cynicism. And I'll tell you, you will never get there apart from God's grace. You will not get there. But when you are waylaid and you are laid low, Jesus says, blessed are you. For the kingdom of God is for the poor. That's the gospel. I've never seen an arrogant person converted. In fact, I've never seen somebody that, uh, you know, is always complaining and griping about things. I, I, I really wonder, are you living in the state of understanding your present need for the blood of Christ? And so, he just got through telling them in chapter 5, I'm going to do something different because you cannot keep the law. God gave the law to condemn you. Why do you give 10 more commandments if you already broke one in Adam and you're dead in Adam? So Paul says in Romans 7, so that sin might become exceedingly sinful. To bring you to the point where there is no hope, I am trapped in my self-righteousness. I'm trapped in my way of thinking. I am trapped in pornography. I am Whatever the trap is, I'm trapped in drugs. And so the law condemns you. But now you come to Christ, that's the whole point. The reason the king comes is to create his kingdom. Now, and so we, I only have two points. I'm trying to set this thing up exactly the way it needs, I think, what they're hearing. So then it comes to chapter 6. And the question for us who profess Christ is how is this supposed to work out in our lives? So that when men see us and women see us, they see Christ in us. They don't see Pharisees. And they certainly don't see people who profess Christ or antinomian lawless people. And let me, can I say a word to you younger people, you college students? A lot of them are on retreat this weekend. I have great concern for antinomianism among younger people. I really do. We were talking about that as elders. Uh, Eric, I guess that's what made me think about this. But Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. If all you ever do is play video games or look at porn or complain uh, and gripe and, and all you're thinking about is everything at the horizontal level, I don't care how much you know about Reformed theology. I don't care how much you know. You're lost. You see, Romans 8 tells us that whom he foreknew, he predestined. For what purpose? To be conformed into the image of Christ. And so what Paul, I mean, what, what Jesus is doing now, he goes to chapter 6, he says, okay, what should that look like in the life of a college student who really does know Jesus? Or a middle-aged person? He's been in the church all their life. What's that supposed to look like? And there are two things he begins to address in chapter 6 and 7. And one is hypocrisy. It's not supposed to look like that. And the other is fear and anxiety. Jesus says, don't be anxious. We just sang that song. Great is his faithfulness. Don't be anxious. So you see, if you're a hypocrite, you're not anxious because you're self-righteous and you don't care. You're full of yourself. So you're not that worried about it, right? You're a hypocrite. You don't even know it. 
You're self-sufficient. Everything's okay. So you can either go to that self-righteous extreme or you can go to the other extreme of going, well, I'm so terrible. I'm terrible. I live in fear. Let me tell you something. If God were to reward you for just this week, you took communion last week, now you're back. Could you stand? If God were to reward you for your goodness, you'd be undone. I mean, undone. You know, when we say, hey, man, my life's falling apart. That's what it would be when God reveals himself. That's what it looks like to go, God, have mercy upon me. But when you know that Christ is your Savior, that he has written his law upon your heart, it's not external, it's internal. And so when they say, well, Lord, teach us to pray, he goes to the heart of it. Now, I only have two points here, as I said. Jesus tells us how not to pray. He puts it in the negative. But then he teaches us the basis for for a really rich prayer life. So Jesus clearly teaches us how we're not to pray. Notice what he says in verse uh, 6. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. That they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. So there's an encouragement of what not to be like. And the first thing he tells us uh, is that we are not to be hypocrites. Now, as I, as I thought about preaching on, on prayer, and I know I mentioned this before, but let me say, say this again as we move toward this. Um, we struggle with this, don't we? I mean, we struggle with our prayer life. Nobody in here has, has mastered the, uh, the art of prayer. I mean, if you really want to make somebody mad or them make you mad, go, so how's your prayer life, right? You want to punch them in the nose. Now, you can go by with, hey, how's your spiritual walk? They say, well, that's pretty good. I'm trusting the Lord. But if they say, well, tell me about your prayer life. You go, this is pretty good. Doing okay. And so the goal is... To encourage you. I mean, it's not hard to make guilty people feel guiltier. It's never, that's never the art of preaching. I know you don't pray enough. I know I don't pray enough. None of us are masters of prayer. So the last thing I want to do is to break the backs of those who are already bent low. I mean, that's the last thing that, that I want to do. So the challenge is, is how, do we, how do we, through the preaching, energize you in such a way that you can be hopeful about your prayer life? Uh, Jesus tells us that there are two errors, right? It's pretty clear. First is uh, that we're not to, to be hypocrites. Now, I know that you've heard this a thousand times. If you've been at church at all your life, you know what a hypocrite is, don't you? Right? The, you know what the word means. 
actor. Y'all have heard that. Youth group or somewhere. But that's what the word is. I mean, the word hypocrite is somebody who plays the part. They act. Now, as I thought about this, I thought about my thought, you know, there are actors and then there are really good actors. And, uh, and really good actors win Academy Awards. You know why they win Academy Awards? It's because you're going, man, that is believable. <laughs> you know what a lot of actors do? They will actually, literally, if they want to know a part, that they will enter into uh, to the part in a big kind of way. Uh, I, you know, lose 100 pounds in, in, or... Uh, one I, I saw recently was, was a, a, a person who was going to be a, play a special ops person. And uh, so they went through basic training. So they could kind of get a sense. They can wear what that means. But I have veterans in here who fought. I have veterans who've been under fire here in Afghanistan and Iraq. And they will tell you that it's very real. Versus play acting. They know the difference between an actor and the real deal. Uh, Jesus is saying that we can actually play the part of being spiritual. You really can. You can play the part. Now, I, you know, listen, I, this is played out in our families of professing Christians. We're, I'm telling you, we're either living, I'm telling all of us, and again, it should always lead to repentance, but if we don't deal with it face to face... But we are either living before our family and those who are closest to us, Christ and Him crucified, the way the Apostle Paul said. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Or play acting. I mean, the Christian life is a serious thing. And, uh, and, and Jesus is going, listen, you, you, you can't play the part of a prayer life. It can't be external. I bet Kiefer Sutherland's wife knows that he's not actually Jack Bauer. Y'all like 24? I mean, I got so hooked on that, my wife now is just like, mm, mm, mm. like, man, what have you done with all our time? Should have been praying, but we were watching Jack Bauer. But, <laughs> but you know, Jack Bauer, I bet, you know, he's probably about that big. If you met him in person, I could probably beat him up. So I say, he can't do that. He's just an actor. Now, again, I, you know, I, I feel like I need to somewhat step on toes here because, because God loves us. He will, but, you know, do those closest to us really see a power in our life? Do they see that you're moral, nice, good people? Do they see that you're an activist, that you help with downtown ministries? Which is great. Please sign up. We need help. And, uh, and yet I would say to you that the Christian who's sincere this in here would go, no, they don't. And they cast themselves upon God. And in their weakness, there's a power that their spouses or their children might go, well, they're not perfect, but they're humble. Which, by the way, you can't humble yourself. You do know that, don't you? It's the grace of God. Now, let me just tell the elder candidates, we have nine nominations. And I've already talked to them about some of the requirements that are here. 
But we don't want elders who don't give. I mean, if you if you can go, Ooh, check me off. Uh, I mean, wouldn't it be silly to ask people to make sacrifices if they're not making sacrifices? I mean, the reason Jesus is so lifted up, even admired by those who aren't Christians, is because they say he had skin in the game. He's the real deal. Uh, Or uh, one of the questions will be, if there's anybody in this church that has something against you, we don't know about it. If there's anything scandalous in your life, we need to know about that. You know why? Because we can't be real and genuine if we're not repentant. I mean, I'm not looking for perfect guys. I mean, you already have an imperfect session, okay? I can tell you that. But, but we, we, we need men whose wives would go, yeah, he needs to be an elder. He gets the gospel. I remember, uh, you know, so what, Jesus is, is focusing uh, attention on what drives the hypocrite. And what drives the, the hypocrite? People. The attention of people, what people think. I, listen, I, I remember when I first became a Christian, and um, and I would go to a prayer meeting, and I, I thought it was awesome to hear people pray. Oh Lord, our God, Maker of heaven and earth, and it's beautiful. But after a couple of years, I could pray those prayers. You know why? I heard them a lot. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, and, and so, so, uh, so, so there, there's, there's no power in that, though. We can play the part because really what we care about is whether we are seen by people. And so Jesus says, uh, when he talks about hypocrites in another place, he says, You hypocrites, how well did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, it's kind of interesting. He talks about where they pray. And, and I just felt like I need to throw this out there before, before I move on. It says they prayed on the street. Well, in synagogues, like church, and the street corners. Now, if, if anybody went out and you know, started praying on the street corner here, they'd put you in a loony bin. So what is he talking about there? Well, here's what's amazing. Again, context. In Jerusalem, uh, the temple would have two things that would happen. If there was a need for alms... Or the giving, they would blow a trumpet. And then everybody would run to the street to see who was going to go give money. And the hypocrite, they loved to tote those bags. It didn't cost them anything. They weren't making sacrifices because they had the money. But everybody go, oh, there's, uh, there's uh, Reverend Jones. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a huge issue. But the other one was when there was a call to special prayer. There was a call to prayer. What the Pharisees would do is that they made sure that when that call came, they were near the, that street corner that was the busiest. So people go, wow, man, that guy, he knows God. So we're not to be the hypocrites. But also notice he says that, uh, that we're not to be like the pagans. And what do the pagans do? He says in verse 7, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, so the other, they're, they're kind of being uh, somewhat sincere, but they're not hypocritical, but they're mechanical. 
And you know, I have to be careful here as I begin to make application. But let me tell you this. If you go to the Old Testament, you remember when we looked at the prophets of Baal and Elijah? And man, they're just going on and on and on and on. And they're cutting themselves and they're saying the same things and they're crying out. And, and Elijah's mocking them. He said, well, maybe, maybe you're God's on vacation. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe your God's asleep. And then, of course, he said, maybe your God's relieving himself. That's what it said in Hebrew. Now, I know you can't say that in church, but I just did. So he's mocking them. And, uh, and then all Elijah does is he says two sentences, two sentences, and the fire of God comes down from heaven and licks up that sacrifice. I know we live in a politically correct day and age and we can't be precise about our theology. We can't go, well, this is what we believe and this is what they believe. We don't believe that. But how much incantations are going on that are out there? Muslims pray five times a day and they bow to Mecca. Um, Jewish uh, rabbis have certain prayers that they pray over and over and over. I feel you probably heard some of the prayers at the times of the Seder. Roman Catholicism prays the rosary. Uh, I'm, again, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I think Roman Catholics can certainly be Christians. Okay, so don't hear me going, well, he's just anti-Roman Catholic. I'm not. I've just never understood the counting of the rosary. And, and maybe, and I've had people try to explain it. I've read it. I've read a lot about Roman Catholicism. Uh, but uh, I remember watching TV and... and, and uh, and they were doing Hail Mary, Mother Full of Grace, and, and went over and over and over and over for a half hour. But Jesus, it seems to me, is saying very clearly, you don't need to do that. Now, why do you not need to do that? You know why people saying stuff over and over and over again is to get God's attention. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to get my attention. You go into secret because your Father in heaven knows your needs. So, that's the first point. It's put in the negative. But then he teaches us the basis of a rich prayer life. And the basis of a rich prayer life is when he says in verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Now, I can't tell you how that blew their minds when they heard that. Let me tell you why. Again, you never saw that term used by a Jew. You need to show respect for God. Uh, Muslims have 99 names for God. They have 99 names for God. You want that name they don't have for God? Father. Religions around the world, on the one hand, want to give lift service to the greatness of God. And who are we to speak the name of God? If you study the Gospels, you'll discover that Luke says kingdom of God and Matthew says kingdom of heaven. You know why? Because Luke is writing to the Gentiles. You know what Matthew's congregation was? You know his audience was? They were Jews. And so for him to have said kingdom of God versus kingdom of heaven would have immediately shut them down. You know the basis of a prayer life? is that Jesus Christ has become your brother. 
You see, when Christ came into the world, He's the only begotten Son. We're all, we're all enemies of God. But the Bible says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for sinners. Uh, in John chapter 1, it says, To as many as believe in Him gave He their right to become sons. In Galatians 4, it says that we have the right of adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You see, the, the religion of the Christian is that Father is the Christian name of God. He's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. Now I want you to think about this. So let me ask you, I mean, seriously, I'm almost done, but let me ask you this. Can you call God Father? If you cannot call Him Father, you're not going to pray, except when you're in trouble. But you see, to know Him as Father is to know that He's always going to forgive you. I, listen, you think it's easy for me to get up here and talk about prayer? You think it's easy for me as a pastor to say, hey, say, this, is what God, this is who God is. All I am is a spokesperson. But let me tell you what. I need to know that He's my Father. And you do. You see, it's not about vain repetition. Uh, it, it is about the fact that you have come by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit to know that God is always there for you. And you do everything in the name of Jesus. Some people say, well, the Lord's Prayer doesn't say in Jesus' name. With the very fact that it's the Lord's Prayer and He's calling them Father, telling us to call Him Father, says that we're coming in His name. Now, I'm almost done, but I, let me give you a couple of illustrations about how this, this works. You know, it, the basis of your being able to pray and knowing God, the basis of it is a relationship. Um, if, uh, if somebody were to get on the airplane with you, and you're a lady, and you have a big purse, and you check your bags, and you've got crackers and potato chips and peanuts and because you're flying southwestern they don't have anything to give you but and so some guy comes and he sits next to you right and uh he says hey my name's uh my name's bob uh, well, well hello bob my name's jane and bob starts looking over in your bag and he says uh, so jane what's in your bag she's gonna say how inappropriate now, if my wife were next to me, and she has a bag full of goodies, they're going to say, hey, I'll just stick my hand in the bag. Because <laughs> I know her. You see, for a lot of you, God is very distant because uh, he's like the person on the plane that has all the bag of goodies, but you have no relationship. Let me put it in another way. I love all you kids that are here. You like if you're 10 or 12 or I do. I love y'all. But I don't love you like I love my own children. But I love my children. I love y'all too. But I'm not paying your college education. Or I'd have to borrow some more money. All Jesus is saying is don't pray like pagans. Probably like people who know God is their father.
And you know what? Even when we do that, even when we do that, and we know this, we'll, we'll hit more petitions than praise, don't we? You get on your knees and start, man, I have no idea how I'm going to pay. Lord, help me, help me, help me. And you know, he loves you anyway because he's your father. But the key to overcoming that is to learn that all the things that you might petition for might very well keep you from the Father. All the things that you've been seeking to the point where you're just disinterested every Sunday you come to Redeemer. You're just not that, you're interested in your stuff. You're interested in things. So you make petitions. But the, most of the petitions here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is focusing you on God as your Father. That you want to do His will. You want to honor him. Why? Because he's your father. He's my father. Let me, let me close by telling you about Leah. I, I was reading this uh, in uh, Genesis uh, 29 recently in our Bible reading. And you know the, the, the story of Leah. Here, here's Leah. Poor Leah. Uh, is, is, she gets caught up in a bunch of wicked men stuff. One of them being the one that God chose named Jacob. You all know Jacob? And so he had a crooked father-in-law because he needed to be deceived the same way Jacob was a deceiver. That's the way God operates. But anyway, if you remember, Jacob loved Rachel. And he made a deal that he would work seven years. And you know what Laban did to his poor daughter? He disguised her and gave her to Jacob. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Leah? Your father and then all of a sudden, Jacob goes, wait a minute. He was deceived. So I had to work another seven years for the one, his true love. In the meantime, Leah starts having all these children. And it's very fascinating what goes on. She has the first child who was Reuben. And when she had Reuben, she named him Reuben and said, now my husband will want to be one with me. And then she had Simeon and, and Levi. And then she said, surely the Lord, the, surely uh, Jacob will be attached to me now. What is she wanting? She's wanting what all of us want. To, to be loved and to be accepted and, and to have value in the eyes of other people. And then the fourth time she conceives, and she, never, and she doesn't conceive till much, much later. But then she says she had, she had Judah, the lineage of whom Christ comes. And she said, all she said was, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know what she learned? God is good. That God is sufficient. Do you see him as your father? Uh, if you're just like, I don't care, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm, you know, I can't wait till this thing's over. I pray that God the Holy Spirit would bring you to a point of poverty in your need for Christ. And if you're one who goes, man, I'm so wretched, why would God listen to me after the life I've lived? Let me tell you, you're so close to the kingdom of God. Come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.